Hello and welcome to Apostolic Voice. I am your host, Ryan French. What kind of saint are you? That's the question I'm dealing with today. I'm going to identify seven types of saints or church members, some good and some really bad, so we can examine our hearts and see where we stand. I'm taking this from my brand new article at RyanAFrench.com called Breakers, Takers, Givers, and Makers. I've got an extra grouchy second installment of our segment called Ryan Raw and Real for you today. And the whole family joins me for an all-new Gross Good Great featuring either Cinnamon Bun Snickers bars or Cookies and Cream Twix bars, depending on our mood. We've been looking forward to those for a while, and it's going to be tons of fun. So don't miss a minute of it. Speaking of a minute, everything begins in 60 seconds, so here we go. Takers, givers, makers. What kind of saint are you? From the RyanAFrench.com article of the same title. You can look that up when you have time. Called to be saints together. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he referred to them, and I'm quoting from the ESV, 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. He referred to them as those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm taking a slight liberty with the text, but I like the English Standard Version in this particular verse because it emphasizes that we are called to be saints together. We're together in our local church and with our brothers and sisters worldwide. And that's the beauty and the beast of the situation. When things are as they should be, togetherness is beautiful, unifying, and extraordinarily powerful. But when things aren't right, Togetherness is beastly, gnarly, disunifying, and destabilizing. It's terrible. And even though this is most visible in our local churches, the ripple effects of a disunified local church negatively impacts the global church. And we feel the negativity of it in our own spirit as well. There are three types of togetherness, and we Pentecostals have all heard plenty of sermons about the importance of unity. We know they were in one accord and in one place on the day of Pentecost. Physical, spiritual, and emotional togetherness, that's the three, was vital to the first outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And the same is true today. Satan knows this as well. So he's constantly attacking those three types of togetherness. He'll either try to keep you from physically being together with other saints. We've experienced a lot of that over the past two years. Or he'll try to make you spiritually disunified with other saints. Or if those two things don't work, he'll try to make you emotionally disconnected from other saints. And revival becomes impossible if he can destroy any of those three types of togetherness among the saints of God in a local church. If disunity becomes malignant in a church, it takes painful emergency surgery to fix it. Otherwise, the church will suffer a slow, agonizing death. And we've all seen the tragedy of that kind of spiral, 
that death spiral in a church. In plain terms, spiritual surgery involves one of two things, radical miraculous heart transplants among significant sources of disunity, people, or those sources of contention leaving the local church permanently, or to say it even more plainly, people leaving that church. And this sounds counterintuitive, and and I know it's hard for our, our brains to really wrap around this, but revival often begins with decrease, not increase. If you understand that, you'll realize that God is serious about cutting out cancerous growths of disunity. You'll realize that not all growth, quotation marks, is healthy. If a doctor cuts a cancerous growth off your body, you wouldn't consider that a loss. And when disunifying people leave a local church, that shouldn't be considered a loss either, especially if rebellious people leave a local church. That's not, that's not a decrease. In fact, that's the preparation for an increase. It's God's way of cleansing and positioning a local church for unity and revival. Most of the dynamic church growth I've witnessed and experienced in churches began with a numerical decrease before the increase was seen. This principle is on full display in the story of Gideon leading a ragtag army to fight the oppressive Midianites in Judges chapter 7. Gideon had 32,000 men, which was still a tiny number compared to the massive Midianite army. The Bible says they were like grasshoppers. They were just everywhere. But God was looking for unity in the camp, so he told Gideon to send the men who were fearful back home, and boom, 22,000 men left, leaving just 10,000 soldiers. Can you imagine? Now, 10,000, that still sounds like a lot to our minds, but God wasn't done cutting the problems out of that army. The Lord told Gideon to take his army to the water and make them drink. It's one of the strangest stories in the Bible. And whoever got on their knees and lapped like a dog couldn't fight the Midianites. They just couldn't go to battle. One commentary I read gives an interesting take on why God would demand such a strange thing. I've heard many, many people comment on why God did this, but this is the one that I have been uh, most impacted by. said this, those who drink water in a kneeling position with their heads in the water to lap it up are, number one, easy targets, number two, unaware of enemy movement while they drink, and number three, susceptible to leeches. The alternative is to lie down flat where one presents less of a target and to keep alert, bringing water to the mouth while continuing to look around. The men who lapped water like dogs weren't fit for the victory God was about to give. They weren't alert enough to be unified with God's plan. And they were vulnerable to leeches and disruptive diseases that endangered the camp. And I think we see that in our local churches. We see people who are not willing to position themselves properly for what God is about to do. In the end, Gideon's army was whittled down to just 300 men. It's an incredible story. That must have felt like a terrible, terrible loss to Gideon at the moment before the victory finally came. But it was God's way of getting the glory and keeping that ragtag army unified and humble. 
Can you imagine having a church of 32,000 men and it going down to 300? If you were that pastor, you would feel like an abject failure. If you were a member of that church, you would feel like your church was absolutely crumbling around you. But realize that in the economy and the plan of God, decrease is not always a bad thing. In fact, many times decrease is just God's preparation for an increase, a radical increase, and a powerful victory. Now, there are three kinds of church members from an article that I ran across a few weeks ago, and I'm sorry I can't remember where it was, but I thought it was interesting. Uh, they, They described the three kinds of church members this way, and then I'll give you my own version. The first kind of church member are what they call browsers, The second kind is customers, and the third is shareholders. Some people are chronic church browsers. When someone approaches and says, can I help you with anything? They answer with, no, thank you, I'm just browsing. And browsers are looking for the perfect fit before they commit. They have an idea of something they want in their minds, and they're not sure if they're buying in yet. It's it's understandable to be in this group for a little while, but if a person stays browsing a church for too long, It can become an excuse to attend without commitment or submission, which eventually leads to spiritual bankruptcy. And then the second category of church member called consumers, they're often the majority of people in a local congregation. They attend with the sole purpose of consuming, taking from the church. They come because of the music, the kids program, missions, the great Bible teaching, the dynamic preaching, the fellowship, or maybe the convenience of the location. But if you take any of those things away, they'll leave. If the consumer stays around long enough, they might be mistaken for a worker and someone might ask them to do (laughs) or God forbid, ask them to sacrifice something. But they'll remind you quickly, hey, I, I I don't work here. Ironically, this group of people is usually the most vocal. They're the loudest about their opinions, dislikes, complaints, and gripes. They have an and it's all about me mentality that makes them very vocal about their wants and needs. If they give financially, they usually don't. They do it as a consumer, expecting a particular product or program in return for their payment. If they don't change, they become a drain rather than a gain to the church. And finally, there's shareholders in every church. I like to call them the core, the backbone of the church. These are the ones who show up to a work day. They give of their time, talent, and treasure without strings. They have invested in the kingdom of God, and they take ownership and responsibility for their involvement. They pray, work, and long. They have emotional investment. They have spiritual investment, and they long for the spiritual success of the church. It's their church, not in the wrong way. They know ultimately that it's God's church, but they speak that way because they've invested and bought into the vision and purpose of their local congregation. They're true saints of God. Most shareholders began as browsers or even consumers, but somehow, somewhere, they caught the vision and grew into what God intended for them to be all along. I love that, but Many years ago, the Lord gave me a vision of four types of people in a local church. The first two are harmful because they're breakers and takers. The last two are positive because they're givers and makers. 
The Lord showed me people who were physically breaking things. I remember this vision clearly. They were coming into the church and they were breaking pews and and breaking things, writing on the walls. They were destroying things in the church. They were Some of them were walking in and they were picking things up and walking out of the church with them. God was showing me physically what breakers and takers do spiritually. They tear things apart and cause brokenness all around them. They walk away with things and never return. They engage in gossip, backbiting, and leadership bashing, almost exclusively in private. Breakers sow discord and gender strife. They resist all healthy changes and refuse to take responsibility for their actions. They hurt vulnerable new believers and discourage seasoned saints. Breakers are responsible for the failure of programs and hinder progression of their local church when left unchecked. Confusingly, they usually portray themselves as shareholders, but they are toxic consumers. Or as Jesus said, often they're wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, takers aren't as toxic as the breakers, but they aren't where they need to be either. Sometimes takers are very kind, friendly people, but they do have a deep flaw. Takers are selfish. They take far more than they give, not just financially. They take in every area from the church. They come to be fed but they never do any feeding of their own. Takers watch while others work their fingers to the bone without feeling any guilt or desire to help. They're not invested in the kingdom. They're invested in themselves. Takers think it's more blessed to receive than to give. They enjoy the benefits and comforts and provisions of the church without making meaningful contributions of their own time, talent, or treasure to bless others. One quick caveat about breakers and takers, and it might seem like a paradox to you. Sometimes they will work, but here's the catch. If they're given a level of power, if they're given some kind of leadership or authority, sometimes they'll even work very hard and have the appearance of shareholders because of their efforts. But because their motivations are selfish ambition, self-promotion, or the love of influence and power, their work becomes destructive and draining to the church. Any apparent good they do is outweighed by the bad. God will not bless selfish efforts regardless of how noble they seem on the surface. Even worse, if they gain notoriety in the church, their spirit becomes contagious to others. Correcting or removing them becomes a nightmare. And many churches have been destroyed because a breaker or a taker gained too much influence. Now, givers and makers are the opposite of breakers and takers. Givers and makers make things happen with their own sacrificial blood, sweat, and tears. They give generously and work graciously. They never tear down, but strive to build others up continuously. They're supportive, selfless, kingdom-minded, concerned, compassionate, caring, loving, devoted, faithful, hardworking, sacrificial when needed, and committed to the greater good. They prefer others before themselves, just like Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says. And if they're hurt, disappointed, or upset, they handle it with a godly, peacemaking spirit. It's not that they don't have opinions or feelings. It's not that 
Uh, everything happens the way they want it to happen. But when they have a grievance, they handle it with a godly method. They're slow to anger and slow to speak. They're quick to listen, as James 1.19 tells us to. Makers and takers are passionate about their church's physical, spiritual, and emotional unity. And because of this, they have great contentment, great gain, and blessings flow in their lives. They're not... They're not downtrodden. They're lifted up because God blesses faithfulness. And so the question I have for all of us today and for myself, because whether you're a leader in the church, whether you're a pastor, a lay minister, whether you're a saint, a Sunday school teacher, maybe you're, a, maybe you're an usher, maybe you're a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord, we all have to ask ourselves, what kind of saint are we? And it's hard to admit it, but we've all had a little of the browser or consumer mindset as saints. It's even possible we've been a taker or a breaker at some point or another. It takes real courage to examine our hearts to see what kind of saint we really are in God's eyes. Hopefully, we all attain shareholder status. To be a giver and a maker in the kingdom of God comes with tremendous benefits and privileges. It's contrary to our fleshly understanding, but selflessness produces lasting satisfaction. Our flesh wants to fight and scrape our, our way to the top, and we want to grab for our stuff and fight for our opinions, but that only brings heartache. Maybe, just maybe, God reversed the order and decided the least will be the greatest and the greatest will be the least. That's how God operates. He loves to make the last become the first and to send the first to the back of the line. If you felt a twinge of conviction, don't worry. God can give you a heart transplant if you ask him for it. You can be everything God's called you to be. If you're honest with yourself, you'll realize the browsing is tedious and the consuming never fills you up. The breaking hurts you the most and the taking leaves you with less than you had in the first place. Let God give you peace. For all the selfless shareholders out there, please know, You are precious, precious, precious beyond compare. Your jewels, your diamonds in the kingdom of God. Your sacrifice is not in vain, and it doesn't go unnoticed. You have great treasure stored up in heaven. Let me say thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything you do. I need you. Your church needs you. God is for you, and nothing, nothing can stand against you, and no weapon formed against you can prosper. I want to share a clip with you today in Ryan Ron Reel of a LA Times writer being interviewed by CNN. I heard the clip and uh, here's what he had to say about people who've died of COVID who perhaps were not vaccinated. Here you go. Paragraph that I highlighted from your column, it's this, mockery is not necessarily the wrong reaction to those who publicly mocked anti-COVID measures and encouraged others to follow suit before they perished of the disease, the dangers of which they belittled. 
expand on that. Sure. Yeah. You know, we have a sort of a cultural habit of not speaking ill of the dead, of treating uh, the deceased as uh, looking at the good they've done uh, during their lives. I'm not sure that in this case that's entirely appropriate because so many of them actually have promoted reckless, dangerous policies. And as I wrote there, they, they took innocent people along with them. So is mockery the only response? Well I, well, I don't know. But as I wrote, every one of these deaths is a teachable moment. Okay, so here we have an L.A. Times writer basically saying, essentially saying that we should make fun of people who, or at the very least shame people who have died, who perhaps were not vaccinated or they took some form of treatment that's not sanctioned by Fauci or from on high or something like that. Here's the thing, okay? Tragically, and I know we're all sick of hearing about COVID, but I've known people who were vaccinated and passed away from COVID, and I've known people who were not vaccinated and survived COVID without any issue at all. The reality is this. We don't really know a whole lot, even at this juncture. We ought to. I Sometimes it feels like mm, perhaps there are things that we should know that we don't know. But even the so-called experts have reversed themselves multiple, multiple times. I mean, it's like one minute the mass save your life, the next minute the mass doesn't do anything for you. In fact, I read a report the other day that in certain cases, just a cloth mask can actually make you more vulnerable. I don't claim to know the answer. Um, but I do know this, that making fun of people who make a personal decision for themselves and whatever it is, whether they get the vaccine. Certainly, we shouldn't make fun of people who get the vaccine and then pass away. That's a tragedy. And we shouldn't make fun of people or mock people who don't receive the vaccine or any vaccine and pass away. This kind of attitude towards life is disgusting, and I see it growing in people. There's, there's such a divide uh, I I don't personally care if if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you don't, don't. If you feel that you should be vaccinated, be vaccinated by all means. If you don't, don't. That's the American mindset. That's the freedom of choice that we're supposed to have in America. And the idea that we can say that because one person makes a personal decision, they're literally putting other people in jeopardy is is ludicrous. Um. This is the mindset of hysteria and fear and even hatred that is being stoked. Tragically, it's being stoked on purpose by, by certain actors in our culture, uh, bad actors. And it's something that the church should not participate in. The church should not participate in this kind of divisiveness, in this mean-spirited, um, in this mean-spirited way of viewing people who have perished. Listen, I think of it from a pastor's perspective. I cannot tell you how many funerals I have preached for people who died of cirrhosis of the liver after being a lifetime alcoholic, and I had begged and pleaded with that person to uh, give that addiction to God and let go of that lifestyle, put the cigarettes down, put the alcohol down. I can't tell you how many people have died in their sin doing something that I begged them to stop doing as a pastor, pleaded with them, mothers that prayed for them, and then I go to the funeral. 
Can you imagine if as a pastor, I stood up and mocked them for being an alcoholic and, and uh, made that a teachable moment where we should all laugh at their, at their loss of life because they, you know, they didn't do the right thing. That, that's an atrocious way to view life. And the fact that it's, it's becoming mainstream in certain circles is very, very scary. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on to my second gripe here in Ryan Ron Real. All right. Uh, social media is really a cesspool anyway, and, and I, I really should stay off it, and I do for the most part. But please, people, listen to me. If you're going to post about God, the Bible, Scripture, or heaven, please capitalize sacred words like Lord, God, capitalize the name of Jesus, capitalize the word Bible. These are sacred capitalizations. And I do not know where we lost this in our teaching, but please, 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 out of respect for the word of God, please capitalize. I'm imploring you. I'm imploring you. Okay. Does anyone else feel like businesses are using COVID as an excuse to give terrible customer service. I'll give you a case in point. I went to Dunkin' Donuts the other day, one of the great American institutions of our time, and it was in a gas station, which makes it even better. Gas station donuts are just better. I don't know why. So I walk into one of our local gas station Dunkin' Donuts, and uh, the lights were all off. And people were going through the drive-thru, so I knew they were open, but the lights in the dining room were off, a pretty large dining room, and I, I, I... I say to the employees, and there's like five of them back there, okay, five of them. It's not like there's just one person. And I said, hey, aren't you guys open? Why are the lights off? And they said, oh, listen, we're open, but only in the drive-thru. We're too understaffed to handle the dining room. They had five people. Listen, in college, in working my way through college, I worked many a fast food job. I worked many a Starbucks counter and Cinnabon even, California pizza, you name it, I worked it. And I can tell you right now, it doesn't take more than three people to handle a very small crowd in a place like Dunkin' Donuts. This is happening all the time. I can't tell you how many drive throughs I go to and they say, well, you know, we're just not making that right now. We're under, I feel like people are just using COVID as an excuse. You've probably got your own stories. I don't understand why it's happening. It's so frustrating. I don't know what to do about it. All right. Gross, good, great coming up. Here we go. Welcome to another French family edition of Gross Good Great. I have the innumerable Talmadge, I couldn't think of the word, uh, is here, and my lovely wife Taylor is here as well. Hello! Uh, the gorgeous Julia, who's about to start high school in just a few short months, is here. And today, tell us what we're going to be trying today, sweetheart. 
Uh, Twix, Cookies, and Cream. Yes. Yeah. Twix, Cookies, and Cream is going to be our selection today. We've been looking forward to this for a yes. long time. And uh, the, the first rule of good, gross, great, gross, good, great is uh, that has to be something that we've never tried that you can find in your local grocery store. And we rate it one, two, and three is gross. Four, five, six, and seven is good. Mm-hmm. Easiest category to get into. Eight, nine, and ten is great. Very rare for something to get in the great category. So, right. All right. Yes. Everybody ready? Talma, you ready? Yes, I'm ready. You ready? Yes, I'm ready. Julia, speak. <laughs> okay, that was not speaking. All right, here we go. So I'm going to open it. This is a giant one. Yes, we each it's get a piece. Four to go. So everyone gets an uh, an entire. Twix. So this is Twix, cookies and cream, 100 calories. I think cookies and cream is supposed to be what, like an Oreo cookie, you think? Oh, I almost ate it. Y'all think Oreo cookie? (laughs) What do you think, Bob? Ooh, ooh, I love Twix. This is actually my favorite candy bar, Twix. So I think I'm going to like this. All right. People are not liking the smell. All right. Got to chew <laughs> into the microphone. This is real, not faking. Here we go. Okay, Big bites. Going? Everyone go. Okay. If you don't like yours, I'll have it. Thank you. All right. Julia. Come stand in front of the official microphone. <laughs> Tell us what you thought about this. Mm. Cookies and cream. Someone else go first. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What? She's not ready. She's overcome with emotion. What All do you right. Think, baby? I'm still eating. Okay. I give it a, um, I give it a four. <laughs> because it's not gross, but it's certainly not great. It's decent. So I'm going to give it a four. It wasn't really that that yummy, but it wasn't awful. I definitely wouldn't pick it at a gas station. So it's not, it's not, you know, I'll give it a four. All right, Julia. You ready, Wanda? Come tell us what you think. It had a very generic taste. Yeah? Mm-hmm. What's the number? So what what's you your number? Um. <laughs> four. Four? Yeah. Very ri- original. Good. <laughs> All right. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Can we just say that Julia always copies Taylor's? All right, bud. What you got? All right. <laughs> Knowing Twix is literally my favorite candy bar. This is a nine. That's a nine. literally my really? favorite. Wow. You gave the last thing a nine too. Nine seems to be your number. Mm-hmm. I'm a little torn on this because I was expecting it to taste more like an Oreo cookie inside of a chocolate Twix bar. And that's what it tastes like. But Perfect. it didn't taste like that to me. No. I'm not really sure what it tasted like exactly. I like the chocolate. Like yeah, it almost had a caramely taste, but hmm, cookies and cream Twix. I think I'm going to give it a, a five. Yeah. To me, it was, um, it was okay. It was, it was good. It was the definition of good. It was just, you know, but I would never pick it. It's not something that it doesn't stand out to me in any way. Yes. Mm-hmm. So this seems to be our trend, though. Like Talmadge gives it a real high number. I'm somewhere in the middle. And then the girls are like trashing it somehow. 
Yeah, the girls always copy each other. Like, Taylor rates it a two, Julia rates it a two. Julia. But we'd love to hear what you think if you try... Yes, let us know. A cookies and cream Twix bar. Click on the little message button uh, in your app where you're listening to this podcast and shoot us a message. And uh, also make sure you go to iTunes and give us five yes, stars. Five stars. And a and nice give us rating. An, an amazing rating. We need an amazing rating. It has to yes. be 15 paragraphs long. There was an ungodly pagan who gave us a bad rating the other day. And what? Yes. So go read the ungodly pagan rating. And, uh, and then for those that are not pagans, you can go give us... <laughs> <laughs> Go give us a nice review and five stars. And yes. if you do this, yeah, and give us your opinion on the candy bar. Find us on social media, Apostolic Voice Facebook, or somewhere, all the media things. We'd enjoy it. All right, until next time, we'll be back. <laughs>